Welcome, everyone, to The Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here again today with Pat Abendroth. On your left-hand side. That's right, to the left. And today, we're going to be discussing the covenants of the Bible. Oh, Mike, before we talk about the covenants of the Bible, I think I should first talk about something totally unrelated, yet related, and that is anti-disestablishmentarianism. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Yes. That's a big word. Forget about what it means, but I did look it up, and it is regarded as the longest non-medical, non-coined, non-technical word in the English language, in case you wondered. I did. I've been wondering. Well, I was searching for intimidating words or long words or frightening words, and that word came up as the longest one, apart from, again, the non-technical stuff. And yet, a 12-year-old girl from Baltimore correctly spelled it and won $64,000. $64,000. So the moral of the story, the reason that's our intro, is because if a 12-year-old can correctly spell a word like that that's intimidating and long, I think all Christians, 12 and older, maybe 10 and older, I don't know, <laughs> should be able to know what a covenant is. Yeah. Even though so many are frightened by the concept, the word, uh, they don't know what it means. And so I hope if we don't accomplish anything else, we can help Christians know what covenants are or what the word means and what the major ones in the Bible are. Yeah, I think it's a great uh, thing to talk about. Covenant, that word, it really does kind of send up some triggers and some flags for people and they get a little bit uneasy when they hear the word. So that's what we want to do today when we talk about biblical covenants. Uh, maybe we just start by talking about what is a covenant? In simplest terms, a covenant is a formal agreement. It is a formal agreement. And on purpose, I don't add a bunch of uh, additions to that. I don't say I don't say the word grace. I don't say the word blood. Sometimes there's grace involved, oftentimes, or blood is involved, but not in all occasions. So I think it's good to just keep it real lean. A covenant is a formal agreement. R.C. Sproul says a covenant in simplest terms is a formal agreement between two or more parties. Francis Turretin also says a covenant is uh, denotes properly a pact and agreement. So let's keep it real simple and real to the point. Uh, a covenant is a formal agreement. It's not a casual agreement. It is a formal agreement. Yeah, and I think we think of covenants uh, as a foreign word sometimes, but we do have covenants now in our culture. I mean, we think about weddings. There's a covenant between two parties there. Uh, also, in our neighborhoods, you know, I belong to an HOA and there's a covenant. We have to abide by certain rules in this contract, this agreement between two parties. So covenant is a word that does happen even in our culture now. It is interesting how covenantal weddings are, at least weddings that I attend for the most part, because we end up having people taking oaths. There are vows, there are witnesses, there's an exchange of rings in our culture. Uh, it's very, very covenantal. If we want something a little bit more technical, uh, here's a textbook definition on the longer side of things. Covenants are oath-bound agreements that establish God and human beings in formal relationships that entail certain obligations for both parties and certain consequences for fidelity or faithfulness or lack thereof. Hmm. So a mouthful, but in case we want to get something longer and more in-depth, that is... Um, a good example. Yeah. So for today's purposes, we want to keep in mind, as we're talking about biblical covenants, we're talking about a formal agreement uh, between parties. And what then, what are some reasons that we want to even talk about biblical covenants today? Mike, I think the Bible assumes that everyone who reads it knows what a covenant is. 
and they're expecting us to be able to think through the different covenants in the Bible. Sure. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times the word is used. And then from Genesis to Revelation, even if the word is not used, the word covenant or covenants, uh, the concept is certainly there, whether it be in the name of God or his expect expectation, blessings, curses. So to read the Bible, you have to know something about covenants. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, uh, what we see happening in the Bible is God uses covenants. He establishes covenants. He makes certain covenants at strategic times and at specific turning points in redemptive history. Yeah. So we need to know not only what a covenant is, but to work our way through the different biblical covenants so that we can understand something significant is happening in the unfolding drama of God's redemptive purposes in his son. So when we're talking about biblical covenants then today, is that the same thing as covenant theology? No, we don't mean covenant theology when we're talking about biblical covenants, though there is a relationship between the two. Um, there are biblical covenants, and all Christians recognize that even if they're not familiar with covenant theology mm. or if they reject it. And so things we talk about will relate to covenant theology, but when we talk about covenant theology, we're typically talking about something different. We're talking about reading the Bible a certain way because of certain biblical covenants. Uh, but that is something we're going to say for a different podcast. Today, we're going to look at some of the major biblical covenants different than covenant theology. So if the two words covenant theology in that order make you nervous, uh, just know that we're not talking about that today. Yeah, we're just going to talk about biblical covenants. Biblical covenants. And on another day, we'll talk about covenant theology. Yes, we will I'm, plan I'm certain it's God's will for our listeners' lives. That's right. So let's start working our way through uh, these biblical covenants that we want to talk about today. I think we're going to highlight eight main ones. Uh, we want to interact with those different biblical covenants um, and we want to just say from the outset that there are entire books written uh, on this, and there's plenty of controversy. Uh, we're not trying to answer all these questions today. We are not the authority on all these things. Uh, so we just want to try to make it simple, help you think through these biblical covenants, and talk about them a little bit. Before we jump into the covenants themselves, uh, I think perhaps a sheet of paper and a pencil or pen would be helpful to our listener, provided they're not driving, uh, mowing, snow blowing, uh, <laughs> running, riding a bicycle, tricycle, or something like that. But if you're able, or at a later time, if you take a pad of uh, paper and a pencil or a pen, what you'll be able to do, I think, is create a timeline with a few simple notes, and it will really help you to see the covenants and how they relate to one another. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super helpful visually even to see if you write that out. In addition to that, we'll have something in our show notes that one of our friends and church members came up with yep. uh, that I think is really helpful when it comes to writing all of these out. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start working our way through these biblical covenants. The first one we want to look at is the covenant of redemption. Covenant of redemption, otherwise known Drop in some Latin, the pactum. the pactum. Oh, I've heard of that before. <laughs> so the covenant of redemption, or otherwise known as the pactum, would be the triune God formally agreeing, if you will, mm -hmm. covenanting to provide redemption for a lost humanity. Mm -hmm. So we have in Ephesians chapter one, all three members of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the father elects, the son will go and make atonement and provide perfect provision, and the Holy Spirit will apply the work of the son. And I don't want to make too much of a division there, but we see all three involved in all sorts of ways. 
But that is where we would start because in Ephesians 1, it talks about before the foundation of the world, these things are planned. These things are purposed. So on the timeline, it's number one. It's on the far left, but it's really off of the timeline because before the foundation of the world, uh, there is a plan and purpose for redemption. And it's the triune God involved. And we should keep in mind that this is something that the Father, Son, and Spirit agreed to do. It was going to happen. They were committed to having it happen. And so the Son came to do His Father's will. Uh, he is one who is working covenantally. So we call it the covenant of redemption. If you were to search that on a Bible program, you won't get any hits uh, because it's it's a label. It's mm-hmm. talking about what's discussed in Ephesians 1 as well as, well as other texts. But certainly there is, it, this is not something that just happened willy-nilly. It's according to purpose. It's according to plan, as we've talked about in other episodes. Uh, and we call it, in Christian theology, the covenant of redemption, the formal agreement between Father, Son, and Spirit to redeem elect sinners. Yeah. So since we've been kind of off the sheet of paper, as you will, with the covenant of redemption, let's move on to the sheet of paper and look at the second biblical covenant we want to cover, and that is the covenant of creation, the covenant of creation. Also known as the covenant of works, also known as the covenant of nature or the Adamic covenant, because Mm -hmm. it is made between God and Adam, Adam representing the entire human race. And so choose your poison, what you'd like to call it. Uh, I call it the covenant of works uh, because Adam was given a responsibility, work to do on Mm -hmm. behalf of the human race. Makes some people nervous because if they've never heard it or something like that, you can call it covenant of creation. It's fine either way. But this is Adam. This is Adam representing the human race. Think of Romans chapter five. Yeah. Uh, Through his actions, uh, there was condemnation. And through the actions of the last Adam, Jesus, we have justification. So there's the covenant of creation. Adam was not in a casual relationship with God. He was in a formal relationship with God because of the creator-creature relationship. And so even though we don't see the word covenant used in Genesis, uh, in the opening chapters anyway, there's definitely um, all of the fingerprints of, of a covenant there because of the formal relationship. Also, Hosea 6, 7, commenting on what happened there, says, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. So Israel, like Adam, transgressed the covenant. So we know it was a biblical covenant in the opening chapters of Genesis. Uh, In addition, in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about Christ being the one who fulfills the obligation, and he's the one who is the last Adam. So that's number one on our list. Actually, it's number two on our list, but it's the first one in time as we know it. And this might be a good time for, uh, if you're if you're taking notes, to go ahead and put number eight on the opposite side of the sheet yeah. of paper. Personally, I found it very helpful to think in terms of the covenant of creation or the Adamic covenant. And then right away in my mind, I go to the new covenant. Mm. Uh, not because I want to skip all of that important rich history, but because the Bible does speak in these terms. Mm. 
So, for example, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 speaks of two Adams. Mm -hmm. He speaks of the first and the last, one leading to condemnation because of disobedience, one leading to justification because of obedience. So I think it really helps to know where history is going, perhaps, uh, before we before we get into the details so that we can know that it's all moving forward and it's moving toward fulfillment of something that went badly initially Mm. because of the actions of the first Adam. Yeah. So it's not all willy nilly history is random going in circles or, uh, not heading anywhere. It's actually heading somewhere. Right. And so each of these other covenant pl- covenants play a role in getting us there. Yeah, absolutely. So as you're taking notes, if you are taking notes or even make a mental note, when we move from number two onward in your mind, know where we're going, we're going to number eight. And this can happen because we have a God who is eternal and he's not making things up as he goes. And he inspired the scripture so that we could understand these things. Sure. So then uh, if we've got number eight at the very end, that new covenant, as you mentioned, and they kind of parallel each other, we've got some we want to fill in in the middle here. Uh, So moving on from the covenant of creation or the covenant of works, uh, next we have the covenant of grace. Another word search renders zero hits. Nada. So therefore it can't be biblical if you are a... Back to episode number one. one. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to keep going back to the touchstone episode number one. That's right. Well, theologians have referred to the covenant of grace as uh, that which launches and is promised in Genesis 3.15, that initial statement of hope and redemption, salvation uh, in the seed who would come. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring. Ah, there we go. And her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There is promised victory from one who would be her offspring. And we know him to be none other than Jesus. Uh, And so when we talk about the covenant of grace, here we have the launch of it, if you will. We have a promise of deliverance. And uh, really what we're looking at here is the fact that anyone and everyone who will ever be saved whether it's in the Old Testament world or in the New Testament world, given there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the only way to ever be saved is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone, Mm. even though it's here in anticipation. Right. So we're saying there's only one way to ever be saved, and it is by grace alone on account of the finished work of Christ alone. That's why Abraham is spoken of as being saved uh, only by faith, ultimately in Christ in Romans 4. David is the same. So don't get hung up on looking for this explicit statement in Scripture. Just know that what we mean by it is there's only one way to be saved, and salvation is launched, it is promised in Genesis 3.15, and it will carry us all the way to the very end. Right. So it's kind of an overarching covenant of grace from this point forward throughout all of the covenants that we're going to be talking about in the rest of the episode. So again, if you are taking notes and not driving a riding lawnmower or something like that, (laughs) uh, what you can do is you literally on your timeline can write covenant of grace. This is after the fall, Genesis three, and have an overarching emphasis all the way to number eight. And similarly, the way that the covenant of grace is overarching to the end there, number eight, the new covenant, we have our next covenant, which is the Noahic covenant, kind of undergirding 
our timeline, if you will. Yep. So number four, Noahic Covenant. We've got overarching with Covenant of Grace all the way to the very end. We also have this one. Let's draw this underneath, and it's going to be undergirding. It's it's upholding, and it's going going to go all the way to the very end of the age as well. Right. And what's so unique about the Noahic Covenant? What makes it stand out? Well, I suppose we should first say that it, we, we find this in Genesis 8 and 9. So after the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah, but it's actually with Noah and beyond. Hmm. So Noah was a believer, uh, and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord uh, before the flood. This is after the flood. God makes this this covenant, and what makes it unique, to answer your question, are several items. But let me just read a portion of it. This is Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. It says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Mm-hmm. So there is something that's promised that, that is going to continue on. It's going to last while the earth remains. Right. That's why we had it as undergirding, yes. not girding up your loins, but <laughs> undergirding uh, on our chart when it comes to all of this, because this is going to be intact in effect as long as the earth remains. If we keep reading in chapter nine, verse six, it says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. So there is a restraint of evil that's taking place here. There is a protection, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it also, so there's, in, there's shedding of blood, but not for atonement or redemption, uh, but for restraining evil. Then verse 9 says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature. So it's Noah, offspring after him, every living creature, so it goes beyond the human realm, uh, that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. Mm. So very universal, you would want to say. It goes on to say at the end of verse 12, for all future generations... So really expanding now, verse 15, I will remember my covenant, God says, that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Then it goes on to say in verse 16, the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. 17 says, chapter 9, God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Notice it keeps going again and again and again, the inclusive nature of it, right? the lasting nature of it. And so when we talk about the key features, the things that make it stand out, I think, first of all, we want to say it's universal. So believer and unbeliever right. and everything. So that's quite different than the other covenants we're going to look at. Yep. Then also it's preservative in nature. It's not redemptive. Uh, It's all about preservation, but it's not about uh, redemption or salvation. Mm. So this is what caused this leads theologians to sometimes say this is a common grace covenant. Yeah. It's not a saving grace covenant. This is not only for the elect. This isn't only for believers. This is for every creature, all offspring, all who come, uh, Noah and after, after him. So common grace. He, God is giving them things, but he's not giving them salvation. There's no salvation promised here. Right. And then we would also say what doesn't seem to be so explicit in the text, though it is there, another feature is it is temporary. Yeah. It's temporary because back earlier on in the text, it says 
while the earth remains. Yeah. And then if we cross-reference to Second Peter chapter 3, it's clear that one day this earth as we know it is going to be burned up mm. and dissolve. Also in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Second Peter, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt, um, will melt as they burn, 13 says. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hmm. So as the Noahic covenant is, has that preservative aspect to it, uh, it's, it's allowing for history to continue and move forward so that there can and will be other covenants leading to that fulfillment of that covenant of grace in the new covenant itself. I think this is a great aha moment, at least it has been for me, in yeah. seeing the sig- significance of the Noahic covenant. Yeah. If there were no Noahic covenant then we wouldn't have preservation. We wouldn't have history continuing. God would just give people, everyone, what they deserve, uh, unmitigated wrath. And so then how could we have this unfolding of the drama of redemption finally uh, in the new covenant with Christ coming? Well, we couldn't. So I'm glad you brought that up. And it really does cause me to see the significance, and I hope it causes others to see the actual significance of a common grace. temporary, though long-lasting uh, covenant, this covenant that God made with Noah and all creatures after him. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to mention this because it's always in my head because I'm a musician, but side note, this is what we sing about in Great Is Thy Faithfulness. I don't know if people realize that, but in the verse where we say summer and winter, springtime and harvest, this is about the Noahic covenant. I had no idea. And it's Great Is Thy Faithfulness, God's faithfulness to us that he would provide a covenant that would preserve history mm-hmm. to move forward to another verse in the song where we sing about Christ coming to redeem by his blood. It's fascinating. Learn something new every day. I'm glad I showed up for class today. I tell you. Uh, So let's move into our next covenant here. And uh, on our timeline, so Noahic covenant is undergirding, right? And we had the covenant of grace overarching all of this. Now we're looking at the next covenant, and that is the Abrahamic covenant. Covenant. Genesis chapter 12 and following would give us Abrahamic covenant. Uh, God calls Abram. Uh, he's then called Abraham. It says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he's going to go to a different land that God is going to show him and give him. Then it says in verse two of Genesis 12, and I will make you of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And this is important. Chapter 12, verse three, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then maybe we should drop down to verse 7 also, where it says that to your offspring, I will give this land. Mike, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing the pattern here that started in Genesis 3.15, where there was a promise of salvation, and now we're seeing it come up again. Did you notice the pattern? Yeah, offspring. Offspring. The Abrahamic covenant to your offspring He's picking up what started in Genesis 3.15, specifically there, her offspring. Mm -hmm. If we start cross-referencing some more, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his Offspring. offspring, and he's connecting the dots there to Christ. So here we have this 
gracious covenant that God makes with Abraham to promise to give him this great blessing, and it's going to be to your offspring. Mm -hmm. It's going to be to Christ, ultimately, Mm -hmm. the one who is the deliverer, the one who represents his people, the one who is the Savior. And Galatians 3.16 goes on to say, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Abrahamic covenant is strategic when it comes to understanding the Old Testament, starting in Genesis 12, all the way through to the very end, where we find Christ as the victorious representative, as the offspring. And what about the land aspect? You meant, When we're reading through Genesis chapter 12, uh, there in verse 1, it said, to the land that I will show you. Uh, what's this land aspect of the Abrahamic covenant? Yes, and in time, the people of God, the Israelites, entered into the land. And so we would say it was fulfilled in a certain sense. Uh, But in light of the book of Hebrews and what it says in chapter 11, even they were looking for something beyond the here and now. They were looking to something, Hebrews 11 says, that is better, something that is heavenly. And so there is the the, the short-term fulfillment, if you will, but even they were looking for something beyond the physical real estate Mm. of the Middle East. Uh, In addition to that, Romans chapter 4, verse 13, also inspired perfect commentary on the meaning of the text, says uh, that Abraham is the heir of the world. Mm. So yes, it's true, uh, something that's true in the Middle East, but in addition, uh, because of Christ, it's actually of the entire world. And we'll see this in the new consummated creation. Yeah. So as we observe God moving redemptive history forward, uh, we've seen the covenant with Abraham here. Let's move now into that Mosaic covenant next. So as it would relate to the Mosaic Covenant, there are some important texts, texts like Exodus 19 to 24, Deuteronomy 29. But I think what I would like to do is just sample Exodus chapter 2, Exodus chapter 3, and then a portion of Exodus 19. And then, Mike, you can explain to us perhaps how it is these texts move the narrative forward. Yeah, sure. So in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. So we have that. Then chapter 3, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then if we go to chapter 19, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Then verse 4 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. 
So with all of that fresh in our minds, as we think about what you said earlier, Mike, moving the narrative forward, yeah. getting closer to the new covenant and fulfillment, uh, how, how do you suppose this relates to getting things moving forward? Well, yeah, you think back to the Exodus 2 text you already read there, Exodus 2, where uh, when God hears the groaning of the people of Israel, there's a connection there even by his remembering his covenant with Abraham. And so it's advancing that Abraham narrative uh, through the Mosaic Covenant here when he's saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And we know that it is seed, not seeds, or right. off, excuse me, offspring, not offsprings. Right. And so as it's advancing forward, we see it starting to point us forward to that seed, that offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when they come out of Egypt and uh, God is telling them that you now need to do these things. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession. Uh, you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So here we see even this pointing forward to Christ, who we think of Hebrews, where Jesus would be the uh, eternal and ultimate, ultimate priest. high priest, right? And then we have thinking of the people of Israel being brought out of Egypt. We have Jesus in Matthew 2, who would be the true and ultimate son, as Israel is the son. Out of Egypt I've called my son. Right, out of Egypt I've called my son in Matthew chapter 2. Um, and the people here in Exodus chapter 19, they agree. They raise their hand and say, absolutely, we're going to do these things. We're going to obey. And we smile and we yeah. chuckle. We, we will, smile, we will we do it. We will obey. Right. And we know that Jesus will be the one and the only one who could truly obey the law and fulfill it. So it's advancing us forward. When I think of the Mosaic Covenant and Israel being delivered from Egypt, I think a lot of types, shadows, foreshadowing, pointing us forward to Christ. Which enables it to be a covenant of grace, yeah. uh, even though Christ is the one who's going to have to do these things, even though these people will fail in their promises to do these things, it is still under the banner covenant of grace yes. for maybe numerous numerous reasons, but one would be for certain because types and shadows. Yeah, absolutely. They're in anticipation of Christ, the substance who will bring fulfillment. Yeah. Before we move on, one footnote or one final thing we probably should add regarding the Mosaic Covenant would be uh, that it is with, with the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so a lot that happens that's given in the Mosaic Law uh, deals with Israel as a society, yeah. uh, as a nation, and not, not to mention the priestly side of things with the ceremonial. So it's caused some theologians, I think, rightly to say there's a civil aspect, there's a ceremonial aspect, and there's a moral aspect of the Mosaic Law. Yeah. And the civil aspects uh, are Israel-specific, yeah. uh, and some of its types and shadows looking forward to uh, the world that is to come, secured by Christ. Then we have ceremonial, obviously fulfilled in the book, right. according to the book of Hebrews, with moral still intact yeah. because it transcends uh, the nation of Israel. So earlier we referenced in Exodus 19 where it says that you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this kingdom reference kind of moves us into the next covenant we have here, and that is the Davidic covenant. And here we're still treating the nation of Israel. So we, we haven't left Israel alone yet, as we were talking about the Mosaic covenant. Mm. But Israel is going to have a king. Right. It doesn't go well uh, for, for Israel with their king. But there is David, who is a man after God's own heart. Flawed though he be, mm -hmm. uh, he is the great example king, uh, not in everything, but he is the one who is upheld. And yet a covenant is made that we would call the Davidic covenant that promises one to come in the line of David yeah. who will rule and reign forever, who is not only 
a man after God's own heart in a limited sense, but in an ultimate sense. So David is looking forward to a greater David. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse 12 says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. So here we have it with David, who's going to die. God is covenanting. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever, yeah. So this becomes significant as we look to Christ, the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate, because David was a, a Messiah. He right. was an anointed one. He was a king. We're waiting for the ultimate Christ, the ultimate Messiah, the fulfillment of this covenant. It's not called a covenant in Second Samuel, but the psalmist does, in fact, call it a covenant. Uh, the Davidic covenant moves things even further along as we anticipate the king of Kings, yeah. the true son of David, Luke chapter one, verses 32 and 33, Romans one, three, Revelation 22. He is the one who will lead his people. The new covenant people who are united to him, both Jew and Gentile are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. So as we've been making our way through these covenants, uh, thinking to the chart we've been referencing, and as we've been mentioning uh, encouraging our listeners to kind of write this out, draw this out, and kind of work through it. We started off the paper, as you will, with the covenant of redemption, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, purposing to redeem a people. And then we got onto the paper and talked about the covenant of works, the Adamic covenant. Yep, so number one and number two. Right, and then the third one we talked about was the covenant of grace, and that was that overarching covenant over all of these kind of shooting all the way over to number eight, which we're about to get to, which is the new covenant. Then we came to the next covenant, which was the Noahic covenant. We said, undergirding, undergirding your right, undergirding. So that Noahic covenant undergirding God's faithfulness to preserve so that these covenants continue to unfold. Yep, common, Le- common grace on the bottom, right. covenant of grace to, on the top. Leading us to Christ. Then we have the Abrahamic covenant, where we saw, saw that all who will be saved will be saved by grace through faith, in Christ, whether it's in that promise of the coming one or Christ in the New Testament who has come. Then we have the Mosaic Covenant, which follows that Abrahamic covenant and God's people being delivered. And he does what he does for them because he remembers his promise to Abraham. Right. And then that led us to the Davidic Covenant, looking for that ultimate forever king. The the king king who provides, the king who saves, the king who delivers, the king who protects, the ultimate Messiah, the, the perfect king of all kings. Yep. And then that all leads us now to that eighth and last covenant we want to talk about, which is the new covenant. And when we get to the new covenant, we have fulfilled what Jeremiah 31 promises. We have our Lord Jesus even saying, this cup that is poured out for you, substitutionary, right? It's, it's saving, it's redeeming, is the new covenant in my blood. So here we have the true and better Adam. Yeah. Here we have the last Adam, according to the apostle Paul. The first Adam was to do this and gain eternal life, to obey and gain eternal life in light of what Jesus teaches. And he did not. He failed. He didn't love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't love his neighbor as himself. Uh, He didn't bring about 
obedience so as to have the consummation. Mm. And this one does. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is successful. He is the perfect atoning sacrifice. He is not the type. He is not the shadow. Mm. He is the substance. Uh, He is the one uh, that is celebrated in Hebrews chapter seven. The new covenant is better. It is forever. It is permanent. God has sworn and will not change his mind. He has appointed a son who is perfect forever, much more excellent, better. And the descriptive words go on and on and on in Hebrews 7 and 8. He indeed is the one all of human history has been waiting for. We could even go off of the page. This is the one. He is the one who would come to save his people from their sins. He is the one who makes us members of the new creation. Uh, Even though the new creation hasn't even been consummated yet, it is already a reality in light of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because we belong to him and he's the successful one. Yeah, and so we await that consummation. We await that day uh, when we will be in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mike, before we wrap up, I do want to recommend one book, and I will have to credit uh, this book for being a catalyst even for our conversation, uh, and that is Dave Van Drunen's book, Politics After Christendom, mm-hmm. subtitled Political Theology in a Fractured World. We haven't said anything about politics today mm-hmm. after Christendom, but when we were reading this book, we noticed what a great job Dave does in simplifying the covenants in about 10 pages or so as he was reviewing the different biblical covenants, he made it so simple. And so many times this is not so simple. So I want to give him credit for the inspiration, but I don't want to blame him. So where we've said things that are not accurate or appropriate, uh, he's not at fault. We are. But if you're looking for something in print that does a great job with this, there's one chapter where he deals with the biblical covenants that is worth the price of the book. And then in addition, the book actually is quite helpful in teasing out the Noahic covenant Mm -hmm. and explaining how the Noahic covenant really is where we should be going to think about current day politics as Christians, as opposed to something like the Mosaic covenant, because we're not the nation of Israel. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, I think we're out of time and need to wrap up. We look forward to being with you again next time here on The Pact Up. Thank you.